Here comes a new challenger. From 8-bit to 35mm, game pads to the silver screen, your favorite video game characters are on a quest to become movie icons. Can they unlock the achievement? Let's go for broke! It's time to press X to reload. Control, order, perfection, none of it meant a thing. I've been living in a hall of mirrors. The ISOs shattered it. The possibilities of their root code, their digital DNA, disease, history. Science, philosophy, every idea man has ever had about the universe up for grabs. Biodigital jazz, man. The ISOs that were gonna be my gift to the world. So what happened? Clue. Clue happened. Hey everybody, welcome to Press X to Reload, where we wait for the best of the video game films to rise up from the grave, like the third day of, I'm not going to start that blasphemous sort of comparison, <laughs> but that's what it is, it's an Easter special, and we are comparing a resurrection of a video game film property. I am Nick Moore, with me are Wayne Brissett and Mark Athanas. Wayne? Good day everyone. And Mark? User, let's do this. <laughs> so... We're looking at a really specific and, in my opinion, kind of a special film today. We've been holding off from any sort of a sequel to video game films, because frankly, there's enough of them that we don't really need sequels. But this is a sequel that was almost 30 years before it arrived. Tron Legacy. The original Tron came out in 1982. Tron Legacy came out in 2010, a 28-year gap logically it makes no sense to bring back a property successful or otherwise when it's been almost three decades. So it's pretty crazy that they even attempted it. And considering the plot requires a young Jeff Bridges and he is almost 30 years older, this pioneers some pretty wild technology. Yeah. You think it would have been a reboot, not a sequel. Exactly. This film is surprising to me that it's not a reboot, that they, really trusted the audience or hoped the audience would be enamored enough with the original to want to see a continuation, which is pretty nuts. Now, in terms of a quick rundown of the plot, it really follows the the lineage of Flynn. So Jeff Bridges' character, his son looking for him because he's gone missing and getting sucked into the grid, the world of Tron. And it's it really is a continuation of everything from the previous one, bringing back all sorts of characters and themes and, and whatnot. I had not seen this in a very long time. I watched it when it initially came out. I have not touched it since. Mm. I will save my thoughts. Wayne, I, I'm pretty sure you like this film. Let's mm-hmm. start with you. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this film. I've seen it multiple times. I guess a couple things to lead off into this one is, one, I don't think any movie that we've watched 
on this podcast, and I'm pretty confident that there's no movie we're going to watch on this podcast <laughs> that is as visually stimulating as this movie. Everything about it, I just love the look and the style. I could watch it for hours, even if it had zero story. I could just, I just love looking at it. It's just so artistic. I love the colors. Oh, it's gorgeous. I love everything about it, and I love the sound. The same thing, I've yet to see a movie we've watched on this podcast that has a better soundtrack. I'd almost like to say I doubt we're going to see one <laughs> as well on this podcast, <laughs> but who knows? There might be a Tron 3. <laughs> but those two things alone make me absolutely love this film. And on top of that, I really do like the story. The The faults in this film do lie in the fact that there's a lot of missing gaps that somehow they either didn't have time to film or got edited out of the editing room. And it left some cracks that I, in an otherwise very interesting story. This needs a, a third film to wrap it all up, though. But I love it. I love it. Fair. Mark, how about you? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think one of the things about this film, I'm hard pressed to find a more, and again, I'm going, I'll take it even outside of the realm of what we're doing in films in general. I'm hard pressed to find a film that's more visually absolutely gorgeous. Like, there are several shots in this movie that you could just simply take a screenshot, make a blow it up, make it a giant poster. It is mm-hmm. gorgeous, stunning. It is. Even in, and I think even going down into sometimes the way they film certain scenes, the angles they choose to use as the camera follows the actors somehow enhances it. There's a scene where they step out of the elevator into the nightclub and it's it's not a directly behind them. It's kind of behind, but slightly below. So you can kind of see the scale of the places he walks into. It's just mm. they do such a fantastic job. And the music. Yeah, man. I love the music for this this movie. You know, side note, if you ever get an opportunity and you're down south to go to a club called Coco Bongos, you need to go because hopefully they they still are are doing their little Tron. Their segment of Tron is amazing. Yeah, cool. like a yeah. So you you get a, a nightclub feel with Daft Punk Tron and a, a laser light show, and it will blow your mind. And nothing yes. I just said <laughs> will prepare you for it, but. <laughs> um, it is absolutely worthwhile, and it's it, it's that base the theme that the different uh, the moments for it. And I have to say, Clue is one of my favorite villains in movie history. I something about the sheer magnetic charisma of digital faced Jeff Bridges is is awesome. <laughs> that's for me. But is he a villain? <laughs> but we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, we will. That's a good point. He's a great villain in the sense of a villain that feels justified. Mm. And we'll get into the plot of exactly. it, but he reminds me of a Magneto, a Thanos, mm-hmm. where from his point of view, he's not mustache-twirling, yeah. maniacal villain. He's doing exactly what he is programmed to do. Even the hero yeah. recognizes that. Yes, which is pretty <laughs> Which cool. is rare. He is, the, the real word for him is, he is the antagonist? Yes, he's the, the antagonist. That's what he mm. is. Absolutely. Now... Myself, the first time I saw this, I didn't think it was a bad film, but it didn't really like grab me other than the visuals. Visually, this movie, it was amazing then. It's still amazing now. What really strikes me about it is you're drawing on a film from 1982 and making it in 2010. You can't change the aesthetics that much. Otherwise, you lose that core conceit, like the the light up kind of colors and mm-hmm. the the very kind of striking designs of the ships and the bikes and the digital grid that is this virtual world they live in. I'm really impressed at how they managed to use 
current effects in terms of some of the lighting and bloom and shadow, all of the, the special effects you'd expect of today, but they've kept the aesthetic design where you can put the, for example, that M-shaped flying ship that they have mm-hmm. in the Tron stories. You can put the 1982 one beside the 2010 and go, yep, it's the same thing, but the new one looks imposing and, yeah. and giant. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool. That's an impressive feat. I can think of a lot of stories where they try and do something 30 years later. Star Wars, to pick on it a little bit, where Mm -hmm. it doesn't really succeed that same way. Mm -hmm. They'll either deviate too far from it, like the prequels that suddenly have nicer looking ships than ones that are supposed to happen 40 years later. Or just start creating new things that don't even feel part of the universe. This Mm -hmm. felt like it was still that universe. When you first end up in the grid in this story, it still feels like Tron, but it matches today's sensibility and makes it feel equally immersive and majestic, which was cool. Mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed by that. I'm also pretty impressed by CG Jeff Bridges, all things considered. Yeah. But to, <laughs> to backtrack a little bit, so the basic story, Jeff Bridges, Flynn from the first story he saved the day. He has his son. I guess his girlfriend slash wife died of sadness disease, plot disease. I've seen so many movies that do this. Definitely they didn't want to bring the actress back, so they just kill her off like they did with Adrian and Rocky. It annoys me, but fine, whatever. But you have a really nice story of him recapping what happened in the first Tron as like a bedtime story to his son, mm-hmm. telling him about this world. And I'll introduce you to it one day. And then he leaves and never comes back and his son figures he abandoned him and we flash forward a number of years and it's because he got trapped inside the grid. And his son does the same stupid thing he did of getting himself sucked into it and now he has to try and save the grid and save his dad and and it kind of all spirals it from there. But the main antagonist is Clue from the first film, the digital copy of Jeff Bridges. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't aged a day, which means it is a digital Jeff Bridges, because Jeff Bridges is old. (laughs) This might be the first real effort from a studio to make a CG actor that is an actor, not a animal, not Planet of the Apes or any of that stuff, a person. Am I right? Am I wrong? I feel like it's the first real shot at it. Uh, For an entire feature film, it is. It is. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. And that's that's gutsy. Because when you have the the flashback scene at the beginning, I'm thinking, okay, maybe they'll do two or three minutes of young Jeff Bridges and it's passable. It looks pretty good. I'm thinking, okay, they they got over that hurdle. And when you find out Clue is the main antagonist, that means every scene he's in, they're attempting de-aging Jeff Bridges. And it, I mean, yeah, it looks CG-ish now. It reminded me kind of like um, a PS4 Mm cutscene. So not bad graphics, but you still know that it's not real. Mm-hmm. But the emotion was really good. See, I thought it was funny because at the beginning, yeah, at the time, I thought the young Jeff Bridges looked pretty good at the time. The opening, I, I found it did age a bit. He looks very, like you said, PS4 graphics. But once they're in the grid, it suits it. Like It does. It's, Clue is a digital copy, so he should look more digital. <laughs> I guess everybody else yeah, looks more gets human, away with but I, it's more acceptable, I guess. Against the backdrop of the grid, yes. Yeah, yeah. like I thought the, and again, obviously understanding the incredible feat they achieved in this. Because I think similar to the first Tron, maybe they felt the uh, an homage to it was to try to be like 
on the cutting edge because obviously the first Tron was one of the first like movies that had so much special effects like it's you know it was revolutionary for its time so maybe they felt that need the only way they could have made it better is if all of the digital characters looked like clue yeah that's the only sure. way they would have made it better and that would have been a like five billion dollar movie <laughs> to try to animate right the cast of characters to all look like clue for sure so for what they did i thought and again clue is for me one of my favorite antagonists in a movie because quite frankly he he's oozing charisma and that is a cg face mm -hmm. so they did a good job yeah. yeah, he emotes like, exceptionally well. Exceptionally, well. so it's not a complaint. That's Bridges' it's voice just, work too. Like, yeah, well, yes. it. yeah, he nails. Jeff Bridges is not given enough credit as an actor. He does a lot of mm -hmm. genre work. I mean, things like this and Iron Man. He's willing to jump into that sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff and still give it that, like that extra bit that you need from a, a truly remarkable actor. So I do like that he does bring a hundred percent every time, and not a hundred percent like chewing the scenery he has like a smoldering charisma when he talks. He really does. You want to side with him. The the, the chewing scenery was reserved for Michael Sheen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like the film starts with, as I've mentioned numerous times and will always point it out, I love when they incorporate the actual film into the logo and yeah. seeing the Disney castle done in the digital. style of the grid. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Really cool. You've got that synth electronic soundtrack kind of kicking in. And then after the the bedtime story recap, the very brief scene they have of the corporation proving that apparently video games are still the apparently the the predominant currency of the world, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because everyone just cares about how he made these two great video games and the boardroom is even bigger than before. And <laughs> Like the the news when he goes missing, everyone's just talking about developer of a video game has gone missing as if a world leader went missing. Mm -hmm. So clearly yeah. nothing has changed. But then you get introduced to grown up. What was it? Sam Flynn. I was going to say Flynn mm -hmm. Jr., but I'll, mm -hmm. I'll call him Sam. They do a much better job, in my opinion, because this film really draws a lot of parallels to not just some of the themes, but also the plot structure of the first film, which surprised me, including its mm -hmm. weaker parts of it. Mm -hmm. But they do a better job of establishing Sam as a character who will make sense as an action hero in the video game world. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Because Jeff Bridges, when he jumps into the video game world and he seems like he'd be winded after five seconds, Sam is base jumping off of buildings. He's doing stuff on a motorcycle stunts. that is absurd, like leaping off of ramps and... He should have died several times in the first five minutes. When he goes into the digital version of the the grid, it makes sense to me that he'd be able to act with some level of confidence because he's really just applying his own skills. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, he seems physically more capable. <laughs> yes. And I'm glad that we watched the original Tron recently because I wouldn't have got the wonderful callback of when he gets the the pager from Alan yeah. and mm -hmm. goes to the oh sorry earlier than that sorry when he goes to break into the corporation and the big red door is there the and, same one yeah. that we talked about last yeah, time that's a big and when door. it opens up <laughs> that's, Boy, a, big that's door. a big door yeah <laughs> yeah I absolutely love that oh just there was a lot of good callbacks actually yeah, yeah. there was and it never felt like a callback where if you hadn't seen the original 
you'd be completely lost. It would have just been a funny line. Mm-hmm. But that's the same thing that the original Flynn says yeah. Yeah. when he faces that ridiculously stupid 30-foot-long door. So that that made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, I was a little bit more confused. Help me out here. Wasn't Cillian Murphy a bigger deal in 2010 yes. than to have him for a two-minute yes. scene in the boardroom? Yes. You'd think like, so. Yeah. He, he, they he sent was him up definitely as son. an established enough actor that he seems like he should have had a bigger role. And I don't know if that was set up for a potential sequel to this movie that, that never again immediately happened. But that's I would agree with that. He, he seemed like set that up. must be the case. This this movie screams as if it was written to be continued into another film. Yeah. There's lots Everything of lead up. There's actors, like you said, that, okay, Dillinger's going to be the bad guy in mm-hmm. the third film because now they're in the real world, which I'm skipping way too far ahead. But yeah. sure. I just feel like we need that third film to, to finish this whole thing off. But it's funny. The film itself doesn't end on a cliffhanger. So it doesn't feel like you walk no, away going, the they didn't finish part. the story. But no. they do have a lot of things set in place that if you wanted to have a continuation, you'd have material to work with. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they straddled the line really well, in my opinion, there in terms of you have a complete enough story, but you've left something to work with for a sequel, which was good. I appreciated that. But it was odd to see Cillian Murphy deliver like six lines of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> was pretty weird. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knew someone and owed someone a favor. <laughs> yeah. Or he just likes Tron and wanted to be a part of it. Right. He may have been banking on the chance to be in the next one. So he figures if I get my foot in the door here, I get to be a part of the next, which mm-hmm. to me is the most likely scenario there. Yeah. But it's funny that I remember him better than the the actor who plays Sam. I don't know his name and I just Garrett, watched uh, the movie. No, no offense Headland. to him. He's fine. It's Garrett Headland. Sure. But he's I, been in, he's been in, I know he's who not- Cillian Murphy is. He's not like a big actor. He's into like a few bit things. And I don't know why I was thinking about watching this movie. I was like, I don't know why this guy didn't get bigger after this movie because he's good in it. I like him as Sam. He he's, he's a compelling character. but And he's been in other things more probably like artsy movies than than big blockbusters. But I, I'm, I'm surprised he's not a bigger name. He has a certain level of charm. You guys realize the guy who played Alan is still the same guy from the first yeah. film who played yeah. Tron, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only now Bruce, he sounds uh, like Michael Douglas. Yeah, Bruce, exactly. <laughs> Bruce Boxleiter, Bruce, Bruce something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I do like that they brought him back. That was kind of cool mm-hmm. to say that, hey, your dad's pager went off, but it's been disconnected for X number of years. And Sam goes to the arcade and turns it on. It's really weird to me that it's been shut down this whole time, but no one sold any of those machines or dismantled it. For a money-grubbing company, you'd think they would have done something? Well, I think it's uh, Flynn see, that owns it. Yeah, like, I don't think the company owns it. I think Sam owns it. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. And it gives you the excuse he, to he have He seems the, like someone who doesn't want anything to do with it, but also doesn't want to let any of that and he won't go. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's work, He's fixing his dad's old bike, right? Like, it's, bike, it's yeah. things like that. Right. And at first, it was kind of funny to me that he comes in and turns on the lights in this arcade that's filled with dust and covered mm. with with tarps over everything and in the far end of the room, almost like a religious shrine is the game Tron. Mm. Like, okay, off on its own with like huge letters, not on the game, but on the wall behind it until you realize that apparently it is a secret door, not an arcade machine. And the real computer is behind that. And then he manages to correct me if I'm wrong, shoot himself by accident with the grid laser, pretty much the same way that Flynn Sr. shoots himself with the grid yeah. to put himself into the game. 
They both just trip into this thing. Except by the time Sam saw it, Flynn was already purposely shooting himself into the grid. So it was set right. up to purposely. Yeah, do. like what yes. I liked about this trip into the grid was because Sam is also smart with computers, he was just trying to see what were the last commands put into this thing. And when he brings yeah. up the list of commands, he's like, yeah. fire the aperture. Sure. <laughs> and he ends up in the grid. <laughs> I do like in the original, he gets fired in there. And because he has no idea what's going on, the grid is something completely alien to him and alien to us. It's its own mm. little structure. In this one, when Sam gets beamed into it, which is a cool effect for how they did it. I liked how they yeah. updated the effect for him going in. But now it's almost a digital representation of the city that he's in mm. because Flynn Sr. and Clue have actually built something out of Correct. it. So now he's yes. got his own fingerprint on it. So I like that when he first comes in, it just looks like a more digital and neon version of the room that he was kind of zapped from. And as mm. soon as he goes outside, the film takes off. It looks done it yeah really really cool the digital city is just beautiful and then two minutes into it he's arrested yeah mm-hmm. like any good dnd <laughs> he's adventure. arrested in the real world <laughs> comes out saying a smelly jail he gets immediately arrested in the digital world he's a crime he's a criminal right and what do we do with criminals we send them to the gladiatorial games because in a perfect utopia we go back to roman times apparently yes. but i love that the way they set up how scary the games are, the one guy, when they're all getting <laughs> rounded up, who's like, don't send me the games, don't send me the games. And when they say they're sending the games, he screams, erase me, leaps off of the side of the the street building, high rise, whatever they're onto, and obliterates himself. But when you lose in the games, you just get obliterated. So is it that much worse? <laughs> I was going to say, all the deaths I saw in the games were actually yeah. less than jumping into a fan 50 yeah. feet below. Yeah. Right. Like, I can only imagine it's because that dude keeps winning, but it's traumatizing him. So he just wants to be done with it, but knows he can't lose. Like, I I, I didn't uh, understand it, but it also made me terrified of the games. I, I certainly like that version of the events better, that he's actually just really good at them. <laughs> and he's been murdering <laughs> other people. <laughs> You'll never know. But, but he but can't I like live that. with the guilt. But I'm going to live with that That's now what I figure. From, from now on about this movie. But that guy was murdering his He can't live programs. with the guilt, so he says erase me. That's my more. theory. Yeah. World building. I'm yeah. good at it. Yes. <laughs> but you have Sam get grabbed by them, and he's going to be put into the games. And a really weird sequence, because up until this point, he's still wearing a digital representation of his street clothes, the clothes that we recognize. And before they sit into the games... It's not even that it's an unnecessary scene, but it's really odd where they put him in the middle of this chamber and they lock his feet in place. And these four robotic girls from all four corners start walking towards him in a combination of stiff and yet somehow sexual manner. Mm -hmm. And then start like burning his clothes off. He's like, hey, 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 it's got a zipper. It's got a zipper, yeah. (laughs) And then just start gearing him up. It was weird. See, but their eyes looked amazing. Yeah. I again, I think that's one of those moments in the film where I I was genuinely so mesmerized by the visual of it. I never I didn't put too much thought into it because the other programs that got taken with him, they're not dressed for the games. They're dressed in regular clothes. So I just figured this is just a part of the process. They strip off the program's clothing to put them in combat clothing for the games. Okay. That's what I just assumed, but mostly Same. I was mesmerized by the choreographed movements of those girls and the way they they shoot that room and the way it's lit like it's just it's incredible 
And then when they put the black yeah, suit on him, they move in but perfect it, unison. But then the way the black suit lights up, you're like, oh, that's amazing. Yep. Like, it's just so it's cool. so sick. Yeah. I want one. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I'd want Same. one of those suits, but I also know that the lights would show off my curves and yeah. I don't belong <laughs> in the grid. <laughs> yep. So I would not look nearly as good as Sam did there wearing that thing. And every time they do their disc fight where they're flipping and contorting in the air, I'd just belly flop onto the ground, skid across and be done. Yep. So it's, yeah. it's fine. I didn't say fight. I but, just want the suit. <laughs> right. <laughs> But then they, they go to the gladiatorial games, which have a much larger crowd than we left them 28 years ago. And it feels almost like a smarter aesthetic story choice before you'd have the fights. And I think there was like a few people watching, but it feels mm-hmm. like it shows a grander scale of, no, no, we've built up this digital world mm-hmm. that there are now hundreds, maybe even a thousand spectators watching this as clue is like one leg up on his throne <laughs> mm-hmm. watching it like a roman emperor dictator yeah and it doesn't feel like they changed the games they just look like much more exciting versions of the games we saw before Correct. yeah higher Way stakes which is cool i love that the little thing they put in where the gravity flips midway like i was like oh yeah. that's amazing yeah. like it's such a having cool thing to add to the game yeah. having them encased in an arena well, even on the light cycles it's not a flat ground anymore right there's ramps yeah. and yeah. hills and, and you know spinny flappy things yeah everything feels ramped up the way that a video game sequel would right the the first film taught you the rules of this is how it's played but now instead of being in an open area and trying to hit the ground underneath the opponent you're encased and you're trying to smash the opponent but you can also smash the floor underneath them and try and knock them through that way the room is spinning the room is spinning because of gravity but if it spins once it's done gravity is going to be switched so when it starts spinning the first time and Sam's opponent sees this and starts running up the wall to the ceiling that is now the floor and Sam just drops, falls, yeah. falls flies, whatever you want to call it, and hits the, the ground ceiling. Yeah. It was really cool. And again, that charm of the, the main actor where it's like, okay, this is how it's going to be, huh? And all right, I can do this. Yeah. He's got almost a Nathan Drake quality to him, which I appreciated. Yeah. I love that part when they hand the, the bike handles to each other. And he grabs it and he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready for this. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do with this? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> not that. Not that. Yeah, he's holding it like it's a lightsaber. Yeah. Just the, yeah. How do I use this? Yeah, not like that. <laughs> That's your hint. I still love when he faces Rensler and he throws <laughs> he throws the disc at him and he flips in the air and lands and then slightly mm-hmm. ducks his head so that it doesn't it goes rebound, over. doesn't hit him. And he's like, what do I feel like I just got dunked on? <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> yeah, so Because everybody's like, so oh. awesome. So awesome. Or the very first one he goes to fight before he even knows it's a fight and looks at him and goes, hey, I've got a figure like you on my shelf. Because they all look <laughs> like the toys from his game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Little things like that were kind of cool. And then, as you said, the the cycle, the... The bike race or bike it's combat awesome or however you scene. want to call it. One, the glorification, almost fetishistic level of awe when you have the first combatant there leap into the air, yeah. pull the two sticks apart to create the handles for it, and the whole thing just forms as it's soaring over the camera. That is Gorgeous. my favorite shot in this entire film. Yeah, yes. it's so gorgeous. Because 
that shot sets with up the, music, the level of grandeur you're going to get in the end. Yeah. With the music pumping, like the way. Oh, I, really cool. I don't own a motorcycle, but I want that motorcycle. Like you guys can have the suit. <laughs> I want the motorcycle. Those things look incredible. I want both. You do. You need both. And the Strategy. sheer amount of nonsense during the bike battle, like you said, because now he's facing against Clue, who's come down and the audience is losing their minds because it's their god emperor protecting them against the deadly users because he has poisoned them, which is hilarious. The first film treats the user like god. And this one is now god is the devil to them. They really have... Clue has turned everyone against the idea of the user. The user is the traitor and the usurper. Yeah, the false yeah, deity. The false deity, yeah. yeah. Like, the first film, you would go, okay, is it has some religious tones to it in terms of the idea of God and creation. This one decides we're just going to ramp that up and really play into it. Yeah. But that bike battle, you've got ramps and speed boosts yeah. and yeah. melee combat and, come on, buddy, I can save you. And he goes to grab his teammate and just oh. gets his hand, and the rest of them has been destroyed. And how have like, they not made that into the game? Into a game? Now? I don't know, right? Like that? They probably sequence. did, but maybe it was crap. I'm no, no, no. There's two Tron games, but one's like a like a music kind of follow the track and, and dodge okay. obstacles. The other one is like a Tron game based on the movie where you go through different events, but they don't focus on it. They don't put the quality or the time. You can make just a light cycle game. Uh, if you yes. made it look play as good as what the options yeah. were in that, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, you could make Absolutely. it like a, a it, it could have the feel of like an F zero. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where where you're on tracks instead of maybe instead of like weapons, it's just you turn on the beam from the bike and you can mm-hmm. cut people off and make them explode. Like it'd be but so the multiplayer amazing. action you could do with that would oh. be insane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you have the the big bike battle of four other I guess programs that get stuck with the user Sam against Clue and his four and it gets pretty intense and it looks like Finn's gonna lose and then Cora who's been sent I guess by Flynn she shows up in that awesome looking buggy that looks like a digital version of the tumbler from Batman Begins yeah and I love when you have Clue get knocked aside by her in the buggy, the fact that he has a backup cycle <laughs> yeah. in his pocket. Oh. So even when you can beat him and he's midair about to crash, he just pulls another bike out of his ass. <laughs> yeah. That is a resourceful villain. That happens more than once. And not even yeah, he does it with Clue. the jets too. Yes. Well, with the jets, it's Rezler that has it. And when Rensler is pulling his out, he takes it from him and uses it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I love He's it. He's a villain that doesn't give up. Yes. Right. He's unstoppable in his own zeal. No, he is an unstoppable force. Yeah. And now at this point in the story, you get at least some level of like fill in the blanks in terms of the plot. Because up until this point, Sam has been running blind and trying to make sense of stuff and just taking whatever they infer towards him and going, oh, okay, so I'm, mm. I'm a user. It looks like my dad was telling the truth all along, but I don't know why you all hate me. And Cora, played by Olivia Wilde, and I, she's awesome in this. Yes. She has a yeah. a good mix of not cold in terms of a computer, but she seems like naive and young the way like a, a new mm-hmm. program would be mm-hmm. uh, in terms of her energy towards things and how she's picking up new information. But she takes him to his actual father. And this is not a complaint, but I'm confused by two things. One... When he meets him, he's old, and I know for the convenience of the audience, this is the real Jeff Bridges, so it's been 28 years, he's older. 
do users actually age inside the digital world? Like, Apparently. is he forced to age or not? And that leads me to the the bigger question yeah, that they like, don't answer. The rules according to this is yes. Well, one question they don't really answer, other than a, a throwaway line by him, but it's really interesting to me. Later on when he's describing him and Clue building this world together, he'd say hours for me were just minutes in the real world. When he first sees Finn Jr., when he first sees Sam, it's just the how long has it been? And I'm curious if it's 28 years for the real world, how long has the original Flynn been trapped? I well, think at one point they say a, a thousand I, cycles. I took that more as a figure of speech that, you know, hours in the real world or hours here felt was minutes back home. It was more like it felt like it wasn't. Doesn't mean it actually Maybe. was. But remember, later on, you have one of the characters say to, to Clue, you've been trying to get that disc for a thousand cycles. How long is a cycle? Oh, well, that I don't know. I don't know because he when he... There, when he's tr- when they're trying to leave, when they're trying to get to the gate, he's like, "It's open for a millicycle, and that's eight hours." So I don't know how right. many millicycles are in one cycle. So I, I actually thought of it as it's a extremely long. Like I feel like he's been what would feel like a thousand years in there because of how zen-like he is. And if you remember him from the yeah. first movie. I wouldn't call him he's hot-headed, but he's not zen-like. Hmm. And I think the time and the isolation and, like, it sounds like he fought a war in there and lost a war. Yeah. I feel like all of that has just taken it. He seems like a defeated man so that even when he's reunited with Sam, he's happy to see Sam, but he's still engaged in this open war or a cold war, I should say, with Clue. So he can't even enjoy that moment because he's like, how did you get here and why are you here? So he's immediately right. playing that game with Clue still. And you see a couple of moments where his original kind of passion comes out, mm. including one point where he's like, you're destroying my whole Zen thing here. Yes. Flat out says it to <laughs> Sam. So yeah. it does seem like enough time has passed to try and make him, I wouldn't even say at peace because he's still frustrated and conflicted, but resigned is maybe the right word I'd use for it. Just yes. resigned to this is the fate that I have. Yeah. Yes. He seems right? resigned. Like even with an opportunity to leave, he seems resigned to stay. So that's kind of really cool to me in something I can't answer. It doesn't bother me. It's not a, a flaw, but it's just sure. interesting the amount of time they, they talk about there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it shows, at least to me, it gives an idea of when you have these moments with Flynn Sr., why he'd be so frustrated or so resigned. If it's been the better part of 100 years to him, I'd be worn out. Yeah, like his body still ages 20 years, but it just feels like a thousand. Yeah. Right. And again, just a theory. But then you have that wonderfully awkward dinner. Yep. <laughs> that scene is amazing because it captures the... Oh. It, there's so much happening in that scene. It's an estranged father and son, but catching up, but awkward family dinner because the son in any other standard would be a disappointment to the father with... A third party outsider who's related to neither one of them and is, again, naive, but gets the awkwardness. Like there's a shot where she doesn't say anything. Yes. And there's a moment of silence and she is just like <laughs> looking between them and then like is slowly eating. And then like I forget what he says. Is it when he says he drops out and she just laughs like she's just like, ha ha. Yeah. Like, oh, 
I oh yeah, where, I shouldn't laugh. Where'd you go to school? Caltech. Oh, my alma mater. Yeah. And how's that going? I dropped out. Yeah. And, and she, just, laugh. she just laughed. And it's like an awkward laugh. And then she goes quiet. <laughs> it's so good. That entire scene is a lot of fun. It's a break. It's a necessary and appropriate time for break for humor right at that moment. Because yes. up to that point, the movie's kind of been like, not dark, but serious in tone. And you get to breathe there before you take your next big deep breath and jump back into it. And you'll need that because immediately following the awkward dinner is Flynn Sr. telling the tragic backstory of him and Clue falling out. Yeah. Where Sam says, you know, how come you didn't come back? And he explains Clue and him were supposed to create this perfect utopia and they were building it and they came across... The the ISOs, which apparently are digital beings that no one created. They just kind of manifested. came into being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, manifested, he says. So they seem like a genuinely new creation in existence. But they're imperfect in the eyes of Clue. So he obliterates them. <laughs> and that's, that's they thought I would say, that's genocide. And I, I love the flashback they show for it where you have... Flynn Sr. walking along with Tron and Clue just off to the side and says, you built me to make the perfect society, yes? Yeah. And then Flynn Sr. going, yeah? Because yeah. he doesn't exactly know where this is going. And all of a sudden, just soldiers the pour drop. in and it's a coup. Yeah. but yeah. I love that, that scene. Uh, that's my favorite scene in the movie. You can in that moment, Flynn Sr. doing the whole, oh no, something bad's going to happen out of this. His... His tone of voice, like Clue's tone of voice, his posture, everything about it sounds like it's going to be bad when he asks that question. Yes. Do you still want me to create the perfect system? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the big deal? So, why are you asking me that question? And then I love, again, the action from Tron immediately following of the run. Yes. <laughs> This film does a really great job of, again, keeping the aesthetic and keeping the idea of the combat they're using. But between wire work and more modern choreography, they're doing things in the fights that are superhuman. Yes. And they don't seem phony. They just seem like something that would make more sense in a digital world. But it works. It's got a matrix kind of aesthetic to the fighting. Mm -hmm. And if you've uh, never watched the first movie, then, then this scene is probably your first hint that shows you Tron... That, like the fighting style, you could tell, oh, hey, the guy yeah. in the yes. games, that's that's Tron. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I do like that they tried to distinguish Tron by those more acrobatic moves, by that superhero landing with one yeah. hand up, almost like a Spider-Man kind of landing. Yeah. yeah. So that when you see, what is he called? Rizzer Ren- or Renz- Razor? Or? Renzler. 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 When you see Renzler doing that same thing to try and take down Korra, Flynn Sr. is able to figure out that's Tron. Mm-hmm. Clue has reprogrammed him against us. Instead of the whole, you know, Bucky taking off the helmet and Captain America being able to recognize him, his actual movements are something that mm-hmm. Flynn Sr. is so intimately aware of that he's able to, to pick up on it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Also, small aside, but describing what they were doing as bio-digital jazz. Yeah. 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 So his, his I mean, my, that's beautiful. Jazz, Old man. Jeff Bridges dialogue is amazing, oh, period. That they kept yes. his eighties. It's all he ever known, right? When he came in, it yeah. was still the eighties. He hasn't grown with any other dialect, so it's still awesome and radical and Yeah. It always makes it. me wonder how much of that is they give Jeff Bridges a script and he goes, Yeah, I'm just gonna sound like Jeff Bridges. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Because that phrase, works. biodigital jazz, is amazing. 
it describes things really well. It works so perfectly for both his aesthetic, the way he looks in this. He looks like a digital Jedi Knight. <laughs> Jedi Master. They give him a, a Jesus kind of look to him. It's yeah. funny. In the first film, he's revered almost like a Jesus. And he says, look, man, I'm just making up as I go along like mm-hmm. you. And now he seems to have adopted the look of a Messiah, which is yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> and he turns out to be the driving force in terms of MacGuffin anyway, because the digital disc on his back contains apparently the ability to the jump out yeah. from the digital world into the real world, which becomes that's, Clue's main motivation. That's my understanding. He wants to be able to escape the grid and so, get out into the world. question that I had throughout most of the movie yes. and then Cora changed my paradigm on it. But I felt like Clue leaving when I was watching the movie wasn't Clue leaving to become a physical being. I thought the program Clue would enter the internet, in essence, and wreak havoc. I couldn't tell. But at the end, jumping ahead, what happens with Korra, I was like, wait a minute, that guy was straight up going to try to bring an army through? Like, it it almost... (laughs) Right. Is it... I don't know if the stakes are better or worse if it's just a program or him bringing an army. But again, the potential for what could be a third movie now, if those realms are able to just be crossed, is intense. Mm-hmm. Right. The first film, the evil AI was specifically just trying to create a program that would infect the rest of the world and take it over because you humans are doing it wrong. Yeah. This one is a digital program saying the Earth is imperfect. I made this place perfect. I'm going to make Earth perfect next. And it really does seem like he's going to digitally teleport an invasion force of those awesome looking flying machines and many, many digital troops yeah. out into the real world. Yeah. Crazy. I That's what it seemed like to me. That's why I want a part three. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair. I know there's a, a cartoon that Disney did about Tron. I don't know if it directly followed up on this movie or if it's its own thing. I know it's on Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus. I haven't seen it yet, though. It is. I kind of want to check it out to see if it is that sequel. I thought they were making a live-action sequel to this movie. It's been in talks forever. Give it 28 more years. Yeah. (laughs) It's been in talks forever. There has. And then moving forward, the the next big kind of scene is the club, which you mentioned earlier. My second Where favorite scene. You've got Daft Punk working the music in the background. You have that same kind of feel and aesthetic of like the train station that they have in the first Tron, where it's allowed to be a little bit funkier and have some weird characters show up. And it makes sense in this version of Tron that you don't see those types of characters out in the streets because really Clue just obliterates anything that's not perfect. But this seems like the one safe haven where you're allowed to be strange. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about this club scene is it has probably one of the most epic movie entrances ever (laughs) that turn out to be absolutely nothing, like a dud. Yeah. Like, (laughs) when everything goes to chaos and there's a big fight, all of a sudden, Flynn shows up, touches the ground, everything goes dark, the music kicks into this epic, (laughs) epicness, and then he just stands up as it zooms into him. You're like, okay, it's about to get real. And then he just walks over and helps them out. It's like, okay, he did absolutely yeah, just, nothing. That was the most yeah. epic entrance in the world, and nothing yeah. came out of it. Yeah, like he, he <laughs> See, does nothing. I took it a different way when I watched it. I argue that he did do something, because he does that same effect near the end. Yeah. When he touches the bridge and pulls Clue towards him. 
everyone seems to fight a hell of a lot better after he touches the ground because there's still fights happening. All of a sudden, all of the normal people, the people, all the normal programs that were in that club that weren't necessarily fighting all of the red, and let's face it, if you're red, you're evil. Mm. All of the red, evil minions of Clue, all of a sudden, they're all just ganging up on them, destroying them. They're annihilated. I think he reprogrammed everyone. I'm not there. saying he didn't do anything. It just I felt like it wasn't as epic as the entrance itself. Like he didn't come in and kick butt like you would. Expect I'll give you that. Him. It seems like oh yeah. god, what's he gonna do? Yeah, he like didn't... when he lands, it's like oh my god, like chills, goosebumps, everything, oh, and, it's and like, the music. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah oh, with the so music good. and everything. You're like oh, okay, cool. I'm only okay with it because the alternative is you have him flipping around and fighting, and I think back to. Attack of the Clones, where Yoda shows up and like, oh, cool, what awesome things he gonna do? And he just spins around like a weird top fighting Dooku. I like the fact that Jeff Bridges' Flynn Sr., he doesn't need to fight. He reprogrammed the room, in my opinion. That's awesome. I'm sure. good yeah, with that. And that's what, kind of what he did, yeah. Right? So I like that he did something different, but equally intimidating. Again, that is my read on it. I could be wrong. Maybe they ran out of budget there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're missing a scene. In the midst of that, Clue goes to Flynn Sr.'s digital apartment that he's been hiding out in on the grid that's out in like the Hmm. Badlands. And I take it from that scene that Clue has never been there before because he's kind of looking at everything and going, oh, this is a nice place. This is where you've been here all this Mm -hmm. time. But then the view of that apartment in the Badlands has a very clear, straight shot looking right at the city. How did he never find him in the thousand cycles he's well, been looking? I didn't. So there's two things there. Then this Is might be a flaw. This might be a flaw of the movie because there's two things that the movie established that confused me as well. The first was when Cora rescues Sam in the bike race. She says their vehicles can't go into the Badlands. They're not designed for it. They'll break down. Then. Clue flies I think she meant to, the bikes. I think she meant the uh, bikes. And that's, uh, yeah. And so like, I was bikes. like, okay, maybe it's the bikes, maybe, you know, whatever. But then when he Sam drives the, the vehicle there, the, the light cycle, they use that to find out exactly where he is. So I don't know if, like, why that was necessary. Like, to your point, like, if he's able to fly out into the Badlands and he, it's a giant lit up house <laughs> in a, in a sea of right. darkness. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure <laughs> they would have found it. So I don't really know why it's hard. And I have to just assume that somehow while cloaking Flynn is in that house, he, he turns the lights it. off when they're on their, when they're about to turns get the lights off. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're looking this way. Well, I mean, anyone not lit up would be invisible to these people because everyone's lit up. So it's that's, true. that's fair. I think, but then you have, Cora during that fight get her arm lopped off so now she's in some sort of digital shock which by the way those flight suits of the bad guys pouring in where they have like these insect wings coming oh. off of them yeah it's awesome. that needed to happen more because that was awesome yes it felt very 80s to be honest it just it was something you'd see a G.I. Joe or some 80s insectors and I am a fan <laughs> that's exactly I what I thought I am down for any sort of G.I. Joe stuff yeah. that's I fine like by me I felt like they were more like honestly, they were more like parachutes. Like they were so they're like gliders. Like they're yeah. so cool. Yeah. Oh, so cool. He gets away, so Flynn Jr. and Flynn Sr. have now escaped with Cora who's missing an arm, but they lost the disc 
in the midst of that. So now they have to beat Clue to the the big tower at the end. We're we're skipping over something critically important. Sure. Which is oh boy, Michael Sheen's Zeus chewing he's awesome scenery even in scenes he's not in like he is incredible <laughs> in this brief moment as the the nightclub owner and even yeah. just his well, little any bit character that acting. they give a pimp cane to is going to act stronger right? than anyone else yeah but i even love like, cane gives you acting abilities he for me steals that moment and a lot of he's the scenes good. he's in, because even when he's like, how did you find me? And he's like, Cora. And the the range of emotions that goes over his face of like, well, that was a different time. The huge history there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like there's so much story there. You're like, wow. Like that sounds like there's a lot of story here that he just experienced in like 30 seconds that you wanted to see. And he's amazing chewing scenery until Clue shows up. <laughs> and I just, there's, he doesn't speak. He's just making him a drink. And he like, yeah, he's the most <laughs> menacing thing in the room and he's just making him a drink. And it's that awesome shot of he's holding the drink in one hand and holding his hand out and asking for the dish. And he doesn't say anything. <laughs> he just puts his hand out. And, and the whole time, Michael Sheen is blabbing away, blabbing away, blabbing away, trying to be like trying to sell his usefulness to Clue. And he just holds out the drink and holds out his hand. Well, and he's, you know why? I know it's why. Brilliant. It's amazing. Because Clue can never be trusted. Yes. <laughs> Clue betrays everyone. As he proves. Which he does immediately right after. Deal, he immediately does it at the end of that. He scene. betrays you. Yeah. In fact, his speech that he gives to his people during the invasion when he's setting it up, yeah. he specifically says, I will never betray you. And as soon as he said that, I started laughing. He's like, really? <laughs> Yeah. That seems to be your modus operandi. I I don't really see you not betraying anyone. My favorite part of that speech, and then we're, we're jumping a little ahead, but my favorite part of that speech is in the beginning when they're doing that montage yeah. of Flynn missing, they cut to For NCOM? Flynn yeah. giving a, a speech at NCOM, and he uses the exact same phrase, the, same. the exact same tone of it being their yeah. destiny. And I was like, yeah, like the villain, to your point, isn't Clue. It was always Flynn and his flaws, which, yeah. which screwed up with the programming of Clue. It's so good. Yeah, it was his, as he says, his chasing perfection, but perfection is unknowable. Mm -hmm. And perfection is essentially wrong. You're supposed to cheer the idea of yeah. imperfection. The ISOs, this manifested thing, these new people... They're imperfect, but that's what makes them beautiful. And when Flynn said that to Clue, that's my favorite line when he says, you didn't know that because I didn't know I that didn't when know I that. made you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so that's an amazing scene. Yeah. You have, in my opinion, a pretty good dogfight battle chasing oh, yeah. race. There's to some the, fun yeah. moments there. Pretty good. That was some a fun great moments dog there. fight. <laughs> pretty cool. There's nothing to me that makes it better than the bike race it's it's on par has yeah. as many cool moments other yeah. than tron trying to save them because he overcomes his programming and then speaking of threads he's just left in the water and reboots and we never see okay. him again before we get to that the only fun thing in the dog fight for me was when she flies straight up and then lets gravity take her down and that one shot of just sam in the back having a grand old time yeah. with a yeah. couple laughs yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like, like on a roller coaster, coaster. But anyway, that's that scene that you're talking about with, with Tron switching. That to me is probably the movie's biggest flaw. It doesn't. It just he just switches. There's no lead up. There's no real explanation. It's just he's chasing yeah. them. Has a one flashback, 
And then all of a sudden he's like, I fight for the users. It's like, I feel like there's a lot. Something was cut out. Something is missed leading up to. There should have been one or two moments Mm -hmm. to be able to lead up to that. Yeah. Yes. At the very least, he should have had at least one more scene where he sees Flynn Sr. Something. And that's what triggers it. Yeah. Or even if he, when he finds Sam Flynn, when he's holding him and he's like, user state your program. And he's like, my name is Sam Flynn. He should have had a reaction to that because he knows the name. Like a glitch or something. Like, yeah, he's still trying to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. That's one spot where I really feel like the movie drops the ball. They wanted to include Trodden back in there, but it didn't feel like they knew what to do with him. Mm -hmm. But he's also the title character. So you (laughs) have to do something with him. Yeah. Right. You can't just call it. Grid legacy, it, it has to be Tron, so yeah. he's got to be there. You can't but call they, it Clue because, well, there's already right. a movie called Clue. <laughs> <'Cause>, yeah. <laughs> Don't make me choose which one I like more. You might not like the answer. Yeah. I like that movie. I love Clue. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. You might not like I which one Clue. I choose between this and that. Maybe next podcast we'll do movies based on board games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Hopefully that's a short list of films. <laughs> but you have the, the pillar of light that they're going to teleport themselves out of, and you have a pretty good attempt at a philosophical victory with Flint Sr. trying to, as you said earlier, talk to Clue and say, look, it's not your fault. I know why you're acting this way. It was me. And he looks like he tries to hug him and there's just no changing Clue's mind at this point. He backhands his God. He tries to jump in the real world. And then maybe it's because I'm a parent. Maybe I'm sentimental and sappy and all those things. I don't know. But when you have Sam and Cora in the pillar of light yeah. and clues trying to get to them. And Flynn senior knows the only way he can stop him is to, as he said earlier, reincorporate him, but it will destroy them both. The flashbacks of the moments of Flynn jr's childhood mm-hmm. that he got to see yeah. running through all of those and saying to clue, like when he's like, why would you do this? And he goes, he's my son. That's yeah. That's the emotional mm-hmm. high point for that character. And for me, yeah, that was really good. It makes sense. Yeah. 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 That one feels earned because you really see a good relationship mm-hmm. over the course of the film of him wanting to have his son back. And you see more than enough lingering shots on Jeff Bridges's Flynn that he knows it it likely will end that way. And he's only getting this one oh, day yeah. with him. He yeah, knows. He's mentally preparing for it. it. Yes. He, you could tell he thought that the second he saw Sam. Yeah. That he yeah. was happy to see him. But he's like, well, that means this is the end as well. Like, yeah. You could just see it, the whole movie. He knew he was likely never going to get out, but he had to get his son out. It's yeah. that resignation. And I think that's why they have that talk where he's like, just tell me what's happened in the world. And he's like, oh, you know, the Lakers and the Celtics are, you know, they're they're in the thick of things again. And, you know, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, what's Wi-Fi? You know, like it's all he's learning about the last yep. 20 years of, of the world. Because he knows oh, just Wi-Fi? I invented teach. that back in 85. I, I, yeah, that I, thought, I thought about that back in 85, yeah. But... I liked that last scene for a lot of reasons because in a weird way, I like it again for Clue. Clue can't understand it, obviously because of his programming, but in a weird way, Clue is also his son. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's the analogy for his – Clue is his second son, but he loves his his real first son. And that's part of that dynamic. Like he feels betrayed by Flint. He, he tells him, he's like, you betrayed me. Like, you you know, you betrayed and me. And rightfully so from his point of view. From his point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? That's um, what makes him a good character is it makes yeah, sense. That rejection is so powerful. It reminds me, strangely enough, Clue reminds me a little bit of Zod from that Man of Steel remake. Zod is born 
and designed and bred right. and raised as a soldier. He doesn't know anything else. You can't talk him down from it. Mm-hmm. All he has is I have to serve Krypton. Yeah. Clue is built to make the perfect society. That is all he knows. You can't change it now. Those were his prime rules when he was created. You can't walk back on that. It's yeah. too rigid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? So he's kind of tragic that way. Yeah, that's that's just it. He's That scene is almost... It's heartbreaking on a lot of different levels. One of the levels that's heartbreaking is even for Clue. Because you can almost see that yep. he doesn't not love Flynn. He does. He just feels betrayed by him. Yeah. Yep. Like he doesn't there's no point in time where he just outright tries to kill Flynn. He's never trying to kill him. He's just trying to get his disc. Yeah. And so it's an interesting thing. I love when Clue says to Flynn, the cycles haven't been kind. And he's like, oh, you don't look that bad. <laughs> that feels almost like an acknowledgement of the CG. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was clever. Absolutely brilliant. That was pretty good. Yeah. But you have Sam gets out into the real world. His father has sacrificed himself to, to get him out there and symbolically leaving the arcade up and running and turning the rest of the lights on. And then him and Cora jumping on the motorcycle because now she's out in the real world. And then riding off, there was something about the cinematography of that side panning shot where she's now mm-hmm. staring at the sunrise because he's described how beautiful it is as he's looking forward stoically and the music's going that felt like the end credits to like a Mega Man <laughs> game or like a Ninja yeah. Gaiden. Yeah, yeah it, fair. And I know it's more the games stealing that kind of cinematography from films, but I've seen enough games end that way where you've got whatever kind of MIDI music happening and the credits rolling over it that I expected the credits to start playing over that shot. Yeah. And and then it ends. And I, I enjoyed the film significantly more this time mm. than I did the first time. Good. But I do feel like a strong component of that is because... I remembered the original film much stronger, having seen it within the past year. Agreed. I feel like this film really does benefit from the original material, which is odd because, I mean, a sequel almost three decades later, how many people realistically watched the original again before they watched this? And I feel like it would have helped this movie a lot if they did. No, I didn't when I first watched it. No, again, I enjoyed them. I've enjoyed that. I've seen it a couple times, so I obviously really like this movie, but... It's interesting that you mentioned that because, like, it's it's almost 30 years. There's a uh-huh. generation of people who don't know this is their Tron movie. Like, they don't know about right. an original. They don't know that this is a sequel. It's not called Tron 2. It's called Tron Legacy. And they might just be like, yeah, whatever. That's what it's called. They may not know that, that there is the original Tron movie. They might now, but they might not have when they sat down to watch it for the first time. Again. Yeah. Well, it's funny. The idea of a property returning and having a film after a number of years isn't that weird now. No. Because now, for example, you have Star Wars, which didn't have the same length of time in between them because you had the original trilogy in the late 70s, early 80s, and then you had the very late 90s to early 2000s for the prequels, and then the last couple of years you've had the new trilogy. But they were still like a decade apart for each. Mm-hmm. But you've had like predator come back over a decade after it's out you've had rambo have what was it rambo threes in the late 80s and then comes out with a sequel in 2008 same thing with indiana jones and its gap between like last crusade to king of the crystal skull a lot of properties have had a larger gap now but i could only find one that predates this in terms of a massive gap wizard of oz and return to oz mm-hmm. 
1939 and like 1980-something or other. Yeah, yeah. This seems to be one of the first ones to go, screw it. It's been 30 years. Let's make another one anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it, it works. Now, I will say if I do have one complaint – about this particular film, it is the same complaint that I have about the the first one, which you've all mirrored. It does lag a little bit during the last journey to the end yes. when they're on like the that skiff the ship that's just traveling along the train. Yeah, which is weird because the skiff in the first one's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You have a philosophical moment that isn't a bad moment, but it does it feel like it, it pulls the pacing yeah. back a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's odd to me they'd repeat that mistake. <laughs> yeah, like it. It puts a real anchor on the pacing up to that point. Yeah. Because the pacing up yeah. to that point is And it's still a good moment. Quick. And it's yeah, it's not a bad moment. Yeah. It's a real change in tone. And a lot of those things could have been said at the dinner back at Flynn's place. Yeah. Yes. Like there's nothing you needed to know at that point it's later. Placement. On. Like, yeah. The tone of the conversation they have on the train traveling is much more lighthearted and easygoing and it shows that they develop some kind of a bond. I just feel like that scene could have been two or three minutes shorter. At the very least, just like the skiff scene could have been two or three minutes shorter. But that's my biggest complaint. Other than that, I'm pretty impressed. This was good. Mm -hmm. I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it, but I strongly recommend watch the first Tron, then watch this. You will enjoy them both better. Now, see, for a third film, my theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, this grid is not the same grid as the first film. He creates right. a I don't new think it one. is. It's not. He creates it he creates and he new brings one. Tron over yes. because he liked the security program. Yes. That means Tron and Clue still exist at Encom True. in the original True. grid. Yes. As a copy. Yes. So I could have swore that Clue died early in the first one and he was bringing it back here. But I could no, be but wrong. the programming. The programming. Would oh, yeah. The program. Yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. Dillinger could young probably dig up some old files and be like, hey, we've got like this laser technology and he can pull clues. He's the one who screws it up and pulls clue through based on the original grid, not the new grid. And still no one's using this great teleporting technology to further the world. Yeah. What's wrong with this company? Who's lost with the guy who got beamed into it. Well, that's just right. it because before whatever like, sitting in the when, basement uh, of an arcade, <laughs> when Alan, like when Alan talks about it, Alan mentions that, that he was, he was exploring things that were going to change the world. And it was, again, that sort of fair, bio digital jazz business that he was like yeah like it's yeah. it's everything and he was talking about changing like health religion like everything based off of these isos yeah but he never got around to it well but that's the setup either the way third we'll one. bring this to a we'll bring this to a close and, and again the third one i think i'm gonna try and check out the tron okay. uprising yeah, me too. is the name of the cartoon yeah. i feel like that might be that third film we wanted yeah maybe uh, there's some talk about a Tron Ascension movie, and I don't know what that is. They've also talked about a King Conan for 30 years. <laughs> so, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Some sequels we get, some we don't. Yeah, there's talk of a Tron Ascension, and I guess it was Bruce Boxleiter, the guy who plays Alan, who was like, Cillian Murphy doesn't do cameos, which is kind of what we were saying. But, you know, that this article is like years old, so <laughs> who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been in the talks forever. And sometime before I die, I'm sure it'll come out. Yeah, 30 years from now. But we'll bring the special to a close. Who knows when we have another special? Yeah. It could be Labor Day. It could be, well, it won't be St. Patrick's Day. We've missed it. Oh, yeah. It'll likely be Halloween again. But we thank you for joining us on Press X to Reload. I have been Nick Moore. With me, as always, were Wayne Brissett and Mark Athanas. Gentlemen, radical time. Thanks. 
Ciao, man. Later. We'll catch you later. You've been listening to Press X to Reload. Today's episode featured the voices of Mark Athenas, Wayne Brissett, and Nick Moore. Our theme music was composed by Jack Fierick and performed and realized by Sam Fierick. If you like what you've heard today, subscribe and never miss an episode. Or tell a friend, leave a review, we'll take all the bonus XP we can get. If you have suggestions or feedback, you can contact Nick Moore via his email, retrogamingfool at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next stage.